I've heard people say that too much of anything is not good for you, baby. But I don't know about that. I think you guys might like that a little too much. I don't know. It's so scary there. Well, I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to have you with us today as we continue in this series called The Naked Truth. And if you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to Judges chapter 16, to the Old Testament, Judges chapter 16, and uh, then I'm going to get into the book of John uh, about halfway through, but Judges chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen for you. And, uh, but we're continuing on. Ryan opened the series last weekend. And we're continuing it on today, and we're talking about uh, Samson, uh, who is God's man, who is uh, uh, God's, uh, this champion, this strong man that God has brought up uh, to, to basically def- destroy the, the Jews' adversary, the Philistines, and a woman named Delilah. And when you say Delilah, you, don't have, you almost have to say it like in real whispery type tones, like Delilah. Right? That's what it is, right? Some of you are like, man, did she have a talk show like late at night? Yeah, I know. Yeah. Delilah. Right? So come on. So and that's what it is. So it's Samson, the strong man, and it's Delilah. And, and, and so um, basically the Philistines have gone to Delilah, and they've said to her, hey, if you will take care of, of uh, Samson, we'll give you basically what would be the equivalent, equivalent of modern day dollars of 12 to 15 million bucks. So... The gal is motivated, right? And she says, no problem. So she begins to, to go after him and to try to, to try to find out where his weakness is. And uh, we know because of previous chapters that one of his weaknesses is women. So that's why the Philistines send Delilah and to, the, to him. And so, but, but Samson is like this strong man, right? You know what I'm saying? He's like a man's man. Like, I'm just going to go back to my childhood a little bit. I mean, he was like, you know, like Hulk Hogan. You know what I'm talking about? Like Macho Man Randy Savage. Can I get a witness in the house? Come on, like Rowdy Roddy Piper. Come on, right? You know what I'm talking about? Come on, Andre the Giant. Anybody else? Holla, holla, Jake the Snake. Brett the Hitman Heart. Oh, come on. Take me back. All right. So let's get back to Judges chapter 16. I mean, this is who he was, right? He's this, this bigger than life character. And in Judges chapter 16, we find this man named Samson. And in his story, there are basically these words, these, these adjectives that describe what's going on in his world. And really, they're, they're stages of sin. It's really the stages of, of bondage and of addiction and of sin. And in Samson's situation, it's sexual, which is in most people. You know, basically, the two things that get us are pride of life or lust of the flesh. And, and so we, we, all of us, we find ourselves from time to time battling with these things, battling with sin. And when we find ourselves bound by sin, we don't want to tell anyone. We don't want to talk to anyone. Uh, you can feel trapped. You, you wonder, how do you get there? Uh, and it doesn't happen overnight. The Bible says that we've got an enemy who goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The Bible says in the book of Genesis that he crouches at the door of your home and he looks to pounce upon you, to devour you, to take you out. Now, some of you don't believe in a real devil and you don't really believe that he's really out there and trying to do that. I'm telling you, the Bible says over and over and over again 
that this is an individual, this is a a powerful person that, that has taken down kings and kingdoms, princes and princesses for millions of years. And he has a trophy room where he has killed them, he has stuffed them, and he has mounted them on his wall of his trophy room. And he has his crosshairs out for you, for your marriage, for your family, for your life. And so sin is there. It's, it's crouching at your door, the Bible says. And so the Bible says, don't be ignorant about these things. Don't be ignorant about these devices of sin, but understand. And so Judges 16 gives us this pattern, these stages, these steps, if you would, into sin. So last week, we talked about the first two stages. And, and so first stage of sin is to entice. The first stage of sin is entice. It looks good. I'm not talking about cupcakes, right? You know, I'm talking about it looks good. It's like this is something that I want. This is something that I'm desirous of. This is something that's there. And, and you may go, well, does everybody feel that way? Yep. Pastors deal with that? Yep. Good people deal with that? Yep. Your sweet grandmother, she dealt with it. I'm telling you, I know, I know. And we all deal with it because we're made out of flesh and blood. And anybody that tells you that they don't, they're either lying to themselves or lying to you, or both. The reality is, is that we have this flawed humanity. And so there are things that we are know are not good for us, but yet we're enticed by it. We're, we, we like it. The second stage is, 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 is of sin is pester. It just keeps coming after you. You ever try to go on a diet? And it just, man, these right cinnamon rolls. They just keep, right? They just keep following you. Wherever you go, that's my life, right? Carb, I'm, I'm, I'm a carboholic. Is anybody else? Right? I love carbohydrates. Hallelujah. And so you don't get a body like this. Just eating lean protein, folks. I'm just telling you. It doesn't work that way. And so it just pesters me. I mean, when, when Hostess quit producing, that actually was a good thing for my, for my waistline. Because I, I love zingers and Twinkies. and Okay, let's just move right along. But, but that's what that means. It's the pesters continue after. And so we pick this up today in Judges chapter 16, verse 15. How can you say, I love you when your heart is not with me? This is Delilah. And you have mocked me three times, and you've told me where, these great, where your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. His soul was vexed to death. That's what I want to talk to you about today is vexed. And when I was typing my sermon out, I mean, it kept coming up on spell check. There was, it's not a word, but it, it's, it is a word. And that's the third stage of sin is vexed. Vexed. What does the word vexed mean? Vexed means to be in a tight space. If you are vexed, you're in a very tight space. There's no options. There's no light. There's no... Let me give you another word that would help you. And, and for all of us, I think we'd understand. Vexed means to be stuck. I'm stuck. There's no way out. There's no options. I'm in the middle of a mess. I'm stuck. Now, when we talk about being stuck, we've all had different, different times of being stuck. This reminds me of a time uh, a few years ago. I was, I was an adult. And, uh, and it was a Thanksgiving holiday. We were in Missouri where Tammy's mom and dad, my in-laws are. And my brother came up from Arkansas and uh, had borrowed this girl. I guess she was his girlfriend. I really don't know. But she had borrowed he had borrowed her SUV. This wasn't any kind of SUV. It was a Land Rover, totally tricked out. I mean, it had the skid plate for the rocks, and it had like a snorkel for the, 
for the for the uh, motor and and it was made to go like off-roading and mudding i don't really think so i think it was really made to drive on the streets but it had all these components right it was sixty thousand eighty thousand i don't know it was very very expensive and he shows up i think at like 13 miles to a gallon but he shows up and the whole time over 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 thanksgiving day lunch he's just talking about man we we, we gotta go mudding we, we we've got to take this thing out we gotta do this and i go where who did you get this from uh, you remember the girl we went to high school with yeah she's back in Dallas. we moved back from dallas and and, and he's just telling me do we gotta go we gotta go. And so finally he looks at my brother-in-law, Tammy's brother, and says, do you know where we can take this truck off-roading? Aaron and I are going to go. I said, like, Aaron and I, when did this become we, right? This is all about you. And so anyhow, and so he goes, oh man, I know this place. We can totally go. And that kind of a deal. So he looks at me and goes, you got to go. This is going to be awesome. This is going to be great. We're going to go. And I said, Austin, man, I'm dressed, dude. I got my nice new khakis on. I got my little half zip sweater on. My new Steve Madden's on. I mean, I look like I like to be watching a polo match. I mean, I'm not going to go mudding with you. I don't have like boots on and a pair of 501s and a, and a flannel shirt. He goes, dude, you will never get out of the car. Line number one. <laughs> My brother-in-law goes, oh, I know this great place we can go. And nobody's having me. He's this great. So it's like offer like road CCBBZZNN. You know what I'm talking about? These county highway here, there. Well, I should have known the next thing was no cell reception. You know where this is going. So we're driving along. I'm telling you, this ride, this Land Rover is just tricked out. I'm like, how did she let you? Dude, don't worry. You worry too much. You're like the pastor. You're worried about yourself and your kid. Just relax. And the next thing I know, my brother-in-law goes, there it is. And they go off the highway down into this ravine. At this point, I am in the back seat bracing myself. I'm going, oh, Jesus, just take me now, right? And I said, guys, we just passed a sign that said no trespassing. Violators will be. And my brother-in-law goes, ah, it's no big deal. And I mean, dude, it was hit the rocks. I was like, Austin, dude, you're going to, there goes the shocks. Oh, man, it's got a skid blade. It's no big deal. It's no big deal because it's not his car. You understand what I'm saying? This poor girl, I'm just thinking, her poor father. Anyhow, so so anyhow, so anyhow, this is she's doing this whole deal and all this, and he's like, dude, if we get stuck, there's a winch on the front of this thing, we just put it up there, and it'll just go right out, I'm just telling you. So, I mean, we're mudding, we're sliding, we're everywhere, and I'm just, I mean, angles and degrees, I'm just like, oh my goodness, what's going on? And, and the next thing I know, he makes a turn, and boom, we go into this lake. He looks back and smiles and says, no problem. This is a full snorkel deal that goes, I don't even know how this works. It goes all over this whole deal. This is made for this, like Africa kind of stuff. And you're made for this. I'm like, I don't care. Africa, nothing. I am not getting out of this car. I got my new shoes on. I got me some new khakis on. Just had a little family picture made with everybody in a little half-sip sweater. And all of a sudden, it just starts sinking deeper and deeper and deeper. And I'm seeing dollar signs, man. I mean, this is like a Land Rover. Like, what are you doing? You're crazy. This girl's got to be crazy. Who is this again? And he does this whole deal. No, big deal. So he climbs out because he can't open the door because the water's going to come in. Sun's starting to set. Check my cell phone to call my dad, and there's no service. And the words begin to haunt me. Don't worry about it. We're not going to get stuck. You don't have to get out. He climbs out onto the hood. He's trying to get the winch. I go, what are you getting the winch for, man? Like, you, what are you going to attach it to? It's just water out here and mud. So it just keeps going down further and further. Now it's on the windshield. 
And just down, and I'm just going, oh my goodness. So he said, dude, we got, we got to get out. I'm sorry. I said, sorry. You said I wanted to get out. Look how good I look. I can't get this messed up. I'm going to mess up these new shoes. You're going to buy them. I'm going to beat you. And so, so we climb out of the back end of this thing. And of course, the first step out is like, whoosh, just mud up to your knees. I'm like, oh, I'm going to just knock your. I mean, this is, folks, this is like five years ago. I mean, I was like a pa- I was your pastor then. I mean, I'm right. <laughs> so I'm like I'm 16. That's a whole other story for another day. So we get up. So there's no cell service. So we're in this old quarry and this whole deal. And so we have to walk about a half mile. Sun is set. It's cold. Not like Wisconsin cold, but just cold like my legs are wet from my knees down. I've just ruined my shoes. And I'm aggravated cold, like 50 degrees, 45 degree cold. So we get to the, up to the highway. Nobody knows where we are, how to describe to get there. So my brother-in-law says, oh, well, let's call some tow services. Well, none of the tow services will pick up because the county sheriffs have been, have been impounding vehicles doing exactly what we've been doing. And they told the record service, if you show up out there, it's a small town, if you show up out there, we will, we will find you as well. So they call my dad. Finally, they get a record service. My dad's en route. And when they get there, my brother goes, yeah, I don't have any money, dad. My dad looks at me. I go, hey, don't look at me. He's your son, not mine. I'm going to beat him for messing my new shoes up. So, you know, and I mean, we're just stuck. I still don't, I think the car got like towed home like three hours away back to Arkansas. I don't even know what happened to it. But, but, but my point is, is that we've all found ourselves in those situations where you're just like, oh no, this did not just happen. Oh yes, it did. I'm stuck and there's no way out. This is going to be a very uncomfortable situation. This is going to be a very, I don't know the answer. And, and, and we don't do well in those situations. I don't do well in those situations. Where, where, and that's exactly where we find Samson. He's completely stuck. He is surrounded. He's exasperated. He's cornered. He's hopeless. All the airspace has been sucked out of this tight space. There's no more light. There's no more hope. He's stuck. And when people find themselves stuck, there's two attitudes that pronounce themselves. One is, it's no big deal. Especially when you deal with sin. Hey, Aaron, relax, man. Everybody, you know, everybody drinks. Everybody gets a little loosey-goosey. Everybody does it. I was a youth pastor for like almost 10 years. So I'm just like, come on, man. 16, I'd have parents go, you know, boys are going to be boys. They're going to do stuff. I'm like, this is sin. That pornography will destroy your life. I'm not saying it's not temptation to, to every man that walks the planet, but I'm telling you, this will destroy you because pornography doesn't demand more. It demands different. And what, 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 what aroused you the first time doesn't replicate itself the second time. The, 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 you're talking about an addictive behavior with alcohol that now you're treating yourself with this and, and you're medicating yourself with this. It'll destroy you. You're, you're, you're talking about something that will lead you to an extramarital affair. You're talking about something that will damage your family. You're talking about something that will underpin the very foundation of your life. This is serious stuff. This is sin. Ah, no big deal. And so we laugh at things at jokes in the office, at locker room talk. We laugh and we make light of things. We play it off like it's no big deal. Everybody does it. Ah, it's just the way it is. And what's funny to me is this. We will go to the movies and we will watch, pay big dollars for people to live out lifestyles, movie stars, to live out lifestyles that when they do that in real life, public opinion turns on them. But as long as they do it on the screen, it's okay. What does that say about us as a group of people? It just says that we just kind of dichotomize life and it's not a big deal. It's just kind of the way it is. And the second attitude that you find when people are stuck is it's no use. 
I'm hopeless. I'm helpless. There's no use. I've tried. I've called out. I've made phone calls. I've received prayer. You know, um, I had a good run for a few weeks, for a few months, and I'm back right to where I am. Aaron, you just don't understand. Uh, it's just worse this time. Now I'm going to suffer in silence and in secrecy, and I just, it's just no use. I've tried the Jesus thing. It doesn't work. It's amazing to me, even at Life Church, you know, basically our weekend attendance, there's about double to triple the number of people that will attend here, unique individual people that will attend here over a three-week period. And so what that means is that we're ministering to a whole lot more people than we, than we have on a total weekend attendance. And with that, you have people that are coming and people that are going. And I see people from time to time that just kind of fade away and slip away because they tried something and they just kind of buy into no big deal, lie, it, then it's no use and it just doesn't work for me and they go look for something else. Samson, this is where he's at. One of the scholars that I read said this about his, the condition of his soul. Samson's soul became short. It became impatient. It became trapped. He became surrounded. Until finally he just gave up his relationship with God. He just gave up his consecration to God. He gave up his calling. So how do you become unstuck? If it's a con- human condition, if it's part of this thing, how do you become unstuck? What's the answer? What's the hope? Well, let me say it like this. I'm going to give you the answer, but you need to just hang on. Don't roll your eyes. You're going, oh, is what he's going to say. How you become unstuck is Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. Now, I want to say this because you need to hear what I'm saying. I'm not taking away from counseling. I'm not taking away from accountability groups or accountability partners, devotion, life groups. I mean, I do all those things. You mean you talk to a counselor? I talk to a counselor. I... I, I'm, I'm not crazy, at least most, most days of the week, but I don't want to go crazy. And, and I believe in the power of people that can sit down and that can help me do better with my life. I believe in the power of, of, the Bible says that there's safety in the counsel of many and that you should find wisdom from other people. And, and people that are godly, people that are mature in their faith. So I'm not taking away from any of this. But all of these things, all of these disciplines are subsequent to salvation. They're subsequent to the experience with Jesus. Here's what I mean. They become guidelines and guardrails to help us once Jesus helps us become unstuck, if you would. See, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the only one that can, can take you. Jesus is the only one that can, that can alleviate you being stuck. Jesus is the only one that can take you from that tight place. Jesus is the only one that can alleviate the vexation of your soul. And I'm going to show you this to you. I, I want to show you, and if you'll turn to John chapter 8, I want to show you a picture in the life and the ministry of Jesus, a portrait of what a vexed soul looks like and how Jesus sets free this trapped soul and how this works. It's the woman caught in adultery, John chapter 8. How would you like that? I mean, they don't ever give us her name. They just call her the woman caught in adultery. I mean, let me get to heaven. Who are you? Oh, I'm the woman caught in adultery, John chapter I mean, like, like her sin like defines her, you know? I'd like to be a lot of people, but not that, right? But here's, let's read this together. John chapter 8, starting in verse 3. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him, to Jesus, a woman caught in adultery, and they set her in the midst. That word midst means the middle. Verse 4, and they said to him, Teacher, this woman's caught in adultery in the very act. So they've just taken this woman straight from the act of adultery, which is basically she's having sex with a married man. That's what it is. And Moses And the law has commanded us that such an act should be stoned. What do you say? The Old Testament said that she she should be stoned to death. She should be killed. Verse 6, they were saying this, testing him, that they may have something to accuse him. 
But Jesus stooped down. He began to write on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who's without sin among you, let him throw the first stone at her. And then he stooped down again and he began to write on the ground. And then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. It's important, we'll get back to that in a second. And Jesus, left, was, Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. These are the word midst again. Middle. And when Jesus had raised himself up, saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? He said, no one, Lord. And he said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, I want you to catch this. Here's this lady. She's having sexual relationships outside of marriage. This probably is not the first time. The law, the Old Testament, requires that she should be killed. That's what it says. They bring, these religious leaders of the day, bring her to Jesus. They've caught her in the act, which means she's either probably still wrapped in a bed sheet or she is barely clothed. Hair's everywhere. She's ashamed. She doesn't even look up to see who's around her. She's trapped, she's hopeless, she's helpless, she's condemned to die, and she knows it. And she's wrong, and her sin is caught up with her, and she's standing in the middle, and these men holding stones in their hand, getting ready to kill her for her sin, being completely justified by the law, bring Jesus into the conversation. Jesus doesn't invite himself. Jesus isn't strolling along, having a morning, morning paper, a morning walk. And he doesn't, he, he just, they say, Jesus, what do we do with this? And they're trying, they want Jesus to come in because he's been this person of grace and mercy. They want Jesus to come in and to basically try to do away with the Old Testament law. And if he does, then he's, crea- he's, he's basically, he's broken God's covenant and, and there's no way he can be the Messiah. So he's caught in this very, 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 very peculiar situation. And Jesus begins to stoop down and write into the sand. Now, we don't know what he wrote. We, we don't know what he wrote in the sand. When we get to heaven, we'll, we'll see. Here's what I think. And my, my story, my version is pretty spicy. So I think, I think he began to write the names of all the men that she had slept with. And I think many of those men that she had had sexual relationships were standing around that circle. And I think it was like, hey, Joe, I'm talking to you, <laughs> you know, Ed, right here you go. I mean, I, I just think that's what's going on. And he begins, because their conscience begins to get, when he looks at them and says, hey, you who's without sin, whoever's sinless, who's never done anything wrong, let him go without the first, let, 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 let him cast the first stone. You know why he says that? Because we've all, we're all jacked up. Romans is right. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none of us that are righteous, no, not one. And some people, it messes them up when I as a pastor go, you know what, I struggle and, and I'm not perfect and I'm not whatever. Well, I'm just telling you, there's nobody that's been perfect since Jesus or before Jesus. And I'm telling you, I don't care who you are, we are flesh and blood. That doesn't give us a license to go sin. Paul says we shouldn't keep on sinning, but we should also know that there's grace when we do, but we should try to live pure and holy before the Lord. We should try to strive in those ways, but we need to all understand we're flesh and blood. We're fallible. We, from dust we came and to dust we'll return. And the Bible says that they begin to drop their rocks, the last, the, the oldest from the, from the last. It's a very descriptive way of it shows how God's Jesus' redemptive work begins to work in our life. From the oldest sin, the oldest accusation, the oldest bondage begins to leave first, all the way to the last sin. And he stops and he looks up at this woman. 
And he says to her, where are your accusers? And the Bible says again, it says again in, in, in verse number nine that she was in the midst. In the midst. She's in the midst with all of these accusers, but now she's just, just her and Jesus. She's still in the midst. That word midst means the middle. It's the same word in the original language. Well, what does that mean? That means she was standing in the midst of her accuser. She was standing in the midst of her sin. She was standing trapped, vexed, hopeless, helpless, without any other way out. But one by one, they leave. Why do they leave? Because Jesus shows up. And when Jesus shows up, he takes the oldest sin that you've committed all the way to the newest sin that you've committed. And he takes your sin and casts them as far as the east from the west. Because nobody can do that but Jesus. A church service can't do that. A pastor can't do that. A worship song can't do that. Nobody can do that for you except Jesus. And then she's still standing there looking down at her embarrassment, her stain. But now she's still in the midst, but she's not in the midst of her accuser. She's in the midst of the presence of Jesus. And for the first time in her life, she begins to feel unconditional love. That's what she was looking for. That's why she was going from bedroom to bedroom to bedroom, from relationship to relationship, because she was looking for a man not to validate her, but to love her the way God had designed her to, love, to be loved, because that's what we all need. That's what we're all created for, and we have this yearning for God, and we were never created to carry the guilt and the shame of sin that her life has resulted in. And now she's standing in the presence of Jesus, and he said, woman, where are your accusers? And she looks up and begins to look around. They're gone. Lord, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. This is what's amazing about Jesus to me. Church in America, we want to tell everybody what's wrong with them. We want to bring our unsafe friends to church and we want them to hear a message about how jacked up they are and how screwed up they are and how messed up they are and that they're a sinner going to split hell wide open. But that's not how Jesus dealt with, with this lady. I know some of my legalists in the room, you go, oh, I don't know. It's just a little slippery slope called grace. No, it's how he dealt with it. I didn't write the book. And he begins to look at her and he goes, I don't condemn you either. You're free to go. Now, here's what's interesting. Every single time Jesus finds someone in Scripture who is bound in their sin and their transgressions, before they are freed, they have to be unstuck. They have to be loosed. Remember what I said about counseling and spiritual disciplines and things? That's all great, well, and fine. There's nothing wrong with those things. But something that a counselor cannot do for you and something that a Bible study can't do for you and something that your private devotion life can't do for you is the person of Jesus has to first come into your life and set you free. He's got to unloose you. He's got to help you become unstuck, if you will. He's got to take the vexation of your soul and lift it because he's the only one that can. Why? Because he's the only one that's ever lived the life, died on the cross for our sins, and rose again. And when he says it is finished, it is finished. You don't add to it. You don't take away from it. It's him. And so many times we find ourselves as Christ followers trying to help Jesus out and help him out and help him out and help him out and help other people out. And the reality is, is the answer is Jesus. Man, we so underplay that. It's not about steeples and stained glass. It's not about great produced church service. It's not about eloquent speech. It's Jesus. 
It's not about a great ministry. It's Jesus. It's not about something for your kids. It's Jesus. It's not about comfortable seats or a great program. It's about Jesus. He's the only transformative, powerful person that can show up in the middle of your situation and restore a marriage, restore a life, break the shackles of sin and the shame and of guilt and make you look up and realize everything you've been looking for. He's the answer. And I'm just telling you, sometimes we so underplay that. And in one stroke of his sovereign genius, he sets this woman free. So how, well, Aaron, you know, man, great, dude, I I got saved. How do I stay unstuck? How do I stay, stay, you know, free? How do I stay? Well, if you'll just turn over to John 18, just move from John 8, just 10 chapters over to John 18. Let me show you this Really quick. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's with the disciples. It's just hours before the crucifixion. And uh, they're coming for him. The, 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 uh, the guards, they're coming to take him. To be tried before the Sanhedrin, then tried before Rome, and then crucified. Let's read this together. John chapter 18, verse 3. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came... They're coming to get Jesus with lanterns, torches, and weapons. They're ready for a fight. And Jesus, therefore, knowing all these things that would come upon him, he went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Now let's skip on down to verse 6. And when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. I'm just going to tell you, when I get to heaven, that's going to be like one of those moments I want to see on the heavenly IMAX. Can you imagine? The disciples don't fall down, but these men that come to Jesus, he says, I am he, and all of a sudden the power of God, boom, they're just flat. That's cool. That's just cool. I'm just telling you, that's just cool. All right, so anyhow, verse 7, he says to say it again, whom are you seeking? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, then let these go their way. Skip on down to verse 10. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Book of verse 11. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into the sheath. Now this is exactly how sin comes into our life, even as a Christ follower. This is exactly what happens. These are the disciples. They've been with Jesus. They're there. And they come in. And sin comes into your life, particularly sexual sin. It comes in like the hordes of hell with, with lanterns and torches and weapons. And it's coming in to destroy you. These disciples have been praying with Jesus. They're with Jesus. They've been with Jesus. They're covered in the blood of Jesus. They, they, they've already been saved from their sins. And, and they're, they're with Jesus. But all of a sudden, the, 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 the devil himself shows up. And he is coming about to destroy them. That's how sin comes into our life as Christ followers. Don't, don't, don't be naive about this, the Bible says. Be, be, be smart about this. And in this verse, verse 5, Jesus sees and he steps forward and he asks the question, whom are you seeking? See, when sin tries to come into our lives as Christ followers, if we'll let him, Jesus will step to the forefront and go, whoa, 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 whoa. These, this is my son, this is my daughter. They've been covered in my blood. They're protected. What do you want with them? We don't have to help him out. 
He's like the ultimate big brother that goes, hey, I got this. You just sit right there and get a bag of Funyuns and a Diet Coke and watch this happen. That's kind of what happens. And so they answer him in this, that, you know, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am he. And in that moment, verse 6 says, they literally fall to the ground because the power of hell and every demon and minion in hell has no power against the name of Jesus. So I keep going back to it. The answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. This is not complicated. It's not you. It's not me. It's not my pro- It's Jesus. And they fall down. And Jesus says, again, gentlemen, who do you want? If you want me, then let them go. Because here's what happens. All the hordes of hell cannot prevail against the name and the finished work that Jesus Christ did on the cross. Bondage, addiction, temptation, secrecy, pain, it must bow and it falls back at the very mention of the name of Jesus. So what's the key to deliverance? What's the key to staying unstuck once Jesus has come in and released you? First of all, step back. Just step back. Well, what, what do you mean, Aaron? I mean quit trusting in your discipline. Quit trusting in your devotion. Quit trusting in your good deeds. Quit trusting in your efforts. Quit trusting in your education. Quit trusting in your biblical knowledge. Quit trusting in your information. Quit trusting in your ability. Quit trusting in your brilliance. Just step back. Step back and do what? Jesus is saying, look, just step back, son. Just step back. You're no match for sin. You're no match for condemnation. You were not built for perversion. You are no match for temptation. You cannot resist it. You are dust. And without Jesus, it's impossible. Just step back and let Jesus step up and do for you what you don't have the ability to do for yourself. That's hard for us to do. But he says, if you'll just step back and you will trust me, I'll help you. I'll help you. That's the reason why the Bible says, whoever calls on him, the Lord will be saved. That when the enemy comes in like a flood, that we submit ourselves unto God and he'll raise up a standard against them. Just step back. Don't fight them. And, and, and the second thing that we do when the enemy comes against us, just put up your sword. Put away your sword. See, Peter immediately grabs his sword and just slices Malchus's ear off. I mean, that'd be pretty cool to see that. I mean, he had it really meant. That's one part of the like the Passion of the Christ, I thought they should have been a little more graphic about it. I mean, just, can you imagine just whoo, the precision? And Jesus picks up Malchus's ear and puts it back on his head and heals him instantly. That's, that's just pretty cool. I, I, you're not getting it. <laughs> because it's our tendency to step up and just say, I'm going to step up. I'm just going to pull a full can out. I mean, this is what it is, guys. We just go, I'm going to handle this. I got this. Jesus, I got this. You've done so much for me. I I got this. That's what the disciples are saying. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we want to serve you. Jesus, we walk with you. Jesus, you've been telling us this is going to happen. Let us help you, Jesus. But Jesus doesn't need our help. Legalism says, here comes temptation. Let's assault it. Let's attack it. Just step up and let's be men and let's just deal with it. And Jesus says, grace says, no, step back and let me handle it. My grace is sufficient for you. And ourselves, we go, but I, I got to do this. I got to do this. No, 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 no. Jesus said, you've got to trust me more than you do your discipline. You've got to trust me more than you do the pastor's prayer. You've got to trust me more than you do your church attendance. You've got to trust me more than you do your giving, your offering, or your good Christian deeds, your resume, or your righteous acts. You have to just step back, put away your sword, and let me fight the battle. Why? Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rulers of darkness and everything that exalts itself for the name of the power of the glory of God. And when we're in sin, and we're battling sin, and sin is raging, we are no match for Satan. We are no match for sin. But he is. And he's more than enough. 
He is the first and the last, that which was and is to come and forevermore shall be. And he's already paid the price. So it's not in my trying, but it's in my trusting. It's not in my running, but in my resting that I find the strength of the Lord. You hear what I'm saying? Quit fighting. Quit trying. Quit pushing. Look, Jesus' blood, it either washes our sins away, and it works and it forgives us, or this is the biggest drama in human history. We either have believed a farce as the church and we're all stupid, or it works. It's one way or the other. Either Jesus is enough or he's not. And I'm convinced and I'm convicted that the blood of Jesus is the most powerful agent that we have in our life, the most powerful agent in human history, for whom Jesus sets free is free indeed. And I would ask you today, where are you? Because I believe most of us in this room are in one of those two camps. We're either, and I'm not saying that you're a horrible, simple person. I'm just saying that you're either like the woman caught in adultery. Man, I'm wrong. I, I, don't, I, I don't have a case. I'm guilty. And you stand in your sin, and you stand in your shame, and you stand in your sorrow. And you deserve to die until Jesus shows up. And he says, no, 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 no. You weren't created for this. See, we like to think that Jesus took on us as a church, good people, quote, unquote. He took on our sins. No, no, no. He took on the sins of the world. He took on the sins of the people that rejected him. He took on the sins of the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the ones who crucified him. He took on the sins of the murderer and the adulterer. He took on the sins of the rapist and the pedophile. He took on the sins of the alcoholic and the drug addict. He took on the sins of the housewife. He took on the sins of the pastor. And maybe that's where you are today. And I'm just telling you, are you weary? Just come to Jesus. I can't, but he can. Or maybe, man, you go, man, I'm, I'm a Christ follower, Aaron, but whew, I'm struggling, I'm tired. I feel like a boxer that's just battling the wind. Quit swinging. Quit slicing and dicing and slashing like Peter did. Quit trying to resist. Quit trying harder and harder. Hope is not a strategy. Just take your exhausted self. Step back. Put your sword away, just like Jesus told Peter, and just fall in the arms of Jesus. Here's what I want to do. I want to pray today. And I want to pray here. I want to pray at the West Campus. And I'm going to ask you in just a moment to bow your head and close your eyes. And if you need to ask Jesus Christ to come in your heart and your life, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that. If you're a Christ follower, then uh, I'm just going to pray for you that God's going to give you strength. Because I'm telling you, when I preach a message, like, like I don't like preaching series like this. I'm just going to be really honest with you. Because I deal with more temptation and more sin not that I'm falling into sin or temptation, but I, I have to battle. I have to live what I preach. It's just that's the way it is as a preacher. I'm telling you, if I could just preach, it's kind of like saying, you know, Lord, don't send me to Hawaii, right? I mean, that's, you know, I just preach about heaven all the time. 
But this is the stuff that will set you free. This is the stuff that will save your marriage. This is the stuff that will keep your kids. This is the stuff that will keep you right before the Lord. And so, if for no other reason, for you, that's why we're here today. So will you bow your head and close your eyes here at the Germantown campus, at the West campus, bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want to pray right now for those people that are just struggling. Your Christ followers are just struggling. Then I'm going to give those of you that are not Christ followers an opportunity to pray a prayer with me and to give Jesus Christ your heart and your life. Lord, I just first of all come before you and I just thank you, Jesus. For at the mention of the name Jesus, every demon in hell trembles. At the mention of the name Jesus, shackles are loosened. Chains fall off. At the mention of the name Jesus, life, redemptive, transformative, incarnational life fills us. And hope, hope that we're not alone. Hope, love, love that only you can give, perfect love that casts out all fear, that there's no question, there's no, I don't have to try, I don't have to be good enough, I don't have to perform, I don't have to, I just, you just love me, Jesus, because you love me. And I just pray for all of us. God, know our hearts, know my heart. Oh God, I'm not perfect. And I pray, forgive me of all my sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And renew my heart, my mind, my soul, and my strength. But oh God, these feet of clay, sometimes I become so weary and I try in myself to battle and to push. And I just need to step back and put away my sword and just let you fight the battle. And I pray for those today, God, that's where they're at. They're weary, Lord. Give them strength. They're fighting it. God, give them strength. Jesus, show up and be more than enough. Jesus, show up and minister. Jesus, show up and move. Jesus, do what only you can do. Transformative, redemptive, incarnational Jesus, show up and fill every crevice, every space of our being. I pray, oh God, for every struggle, for every sin, for every weakness, God, for every chink in the armor, fill it, Lord. Fill it. Let there be no wax in our life, no, no filler, but, but Jesus. God, let there be nothing else but Jesus. And I pray today, Lord, for those that are like the woman caught in adultery. God, that they're, they're in need of your salvation. I just pray in these next few moments that you would transform them from the inside out. As we stand up on your word, Lord, Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, if we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart, that we shall be saved. Those of you that would like to ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart, into your life, and to save you, you need him. I'm gonna ask you to pray this prayer with those in this room that have prayed this prayer before. Let's pray this together. Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart, to come into my life, to be my Lord, to be my Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Take away this stuck, situation in my life and free me from all of my mistakes, from all my sin and give me new life in you today. In Jesus' name, amen.